Farmers Insurance knows the difference between a car hitting your bumper and a clown car hitting your bumper. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry about that. Because we covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? I'm so jacked up just thinking about this match and I'm standing and pacing in my den. Mikazi now he's not okay, so Mikazi. so Mik- he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's, he's a boy. He's a man. He's, he's, he's man. Man Mikazi. Are you ready? He got PWS superstar Brian Buck, and he was gone in two minutes. So in go Bernalis. In Bernalis. In go Bernalis. You're missing a B there, but that's There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! Many, 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 Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome back once again to the best wrestling podcast in the world, the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist and the king of banter, Joe Lanza. And could Rich Krejci have picked a worse week to not show up for work? I mean, I've got so much to get to. And really, this is what 2016 has been. I mean, this is incredible. Pretty much every day of 2016, some sort of major news story has broken in the world of professional wrestling. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. And this week, of course, no exception. We've got Shinsuke Nakamura stripped of the IWGP Intercontinental title. We know what his final New Japan match is going to be, and it will not be at New Beginning. And we've got a ton of confusion and a ton of misinformation and a ton of wacky speculation going on with that. So we'll we'll get to all that. And we will we will attack that story with patience. We will attack that story with 
logic, and we will attack that story in a way that eliminates all of the noise, all of the white noise that surrounds that story right now, including who's going to be X. So we'll logically break all that down and ignore all the wackiness that's going on on the internet and speculation and everything else. Shinsuke Nakamura wasn't the only man stripped of a title in Japan. Suwama torn Achilles, kiss him goodbye for about a year. He won the title a couple days earlier. He's stripped. We'll get to that later on in the show. couple little tidbits on pro wrestling Noah. John Cena, of course, the latest. Well, not the latest, but one of the latest WWE wrestlers out with injury. Likely to miss WrestleMania. Rip up the WrestleMania card again. And John Cena's a big one. I'd love to know what these WrestleMania plans were six months ago. Assuming they had plans. Which, to be fair, that's the one card of the year where that company actually does plan things out in advance to some extent. Because it must look much different today. Now, in my opinion, it really doesn't matter because I think WrestleMania sells itself. I think that um, the main event over the last couple of years, or, you know, I really don't even think it matters all that much anymore. I really don't. In terms of drawing fans to WrestleMania, I really don't think it makes much of a difference. Now, with all these injuries and whatnot, that doesn't mean John Cena can't appear. The Rock is going to appear. Uh, you know, that'll sell some tickets. But I mean, I, I you know, when it comes to WrestleMania, I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm firmly of the belief that it doesn't make a, a drastic difference what you do with that card. I, I really don't. As long as you don't lay a total and complete egg, I mean, people are going to show up. It's Wrestling Observer Awards season. And really, not just for the Observer, but it, it's awards season everywhere. We've got our own match of the year balloting. Fourth year of the Voices of Wrestling match of the year balloting is going on as I speak. We're on pace for a record number of responses, a record number of promotions represented, different wrestling promotions. And there's some surprises in the voting so far. Look, I don't know how it's going to finish. And of course, the deadline's about five days from now, depending on when you're listening to this. But And, and you know, a bunch of ballots flood in at the last minute. You know, we'll get almost as many ballots on the last day as we do, you know, in the, the two weeks leading up. But, um, you know, the matches you would expect to be doing super well are. But there's a couple matches that, that I expected to do better than they're, than they're doing currently. And, and that, you know, that may not even make the top 10, which, which is crazy. Yeah, there's, there's two matches that I can tell you. I, I don't like to give a lot away because I don't like to influence the voters who haven't voted yet. But the number nine match right now, I can tell you, I don't think this is giving away much. The, the match that's ninth right now, which has no chance of winning the poll, 
and probably no chance of finishing in the top five based on the points, received multiple five-star ratings this year. The number 10 match right now, the match that's 10th, which is in the same boat as that number 9 match where I really don't think realistically it can make the top 5, was regarded as maybe, I've seen it regarded as the best match in its promotion this year in many places. But the voting has not bared that out. So there's some interesting things going on with the match of the year balloting for sure. And I'll tell you what else has been hurt. I, I tell you. Well, do I want to go down this road? I think there's a lot of matches, a lot of the, not the primary ones, not the ones that you would you would you would think would do well in the poll, but there's a lot of G1 matches that are underperforming. And not any of the ones that we're going to threaten for a top spot or anything like that. But there's a ton of G1 matches. You know, maybe up to a half dozen that, to me, are, are just woefully underperforming. And I think it's because the G1, with that the way they changed the schedule this year, they just you didn't have those mega shows that people were flocking to, and people were skipping a lot of these shows. So there's a lot of interesting things going on with the poll. Number one is still up for grabs. The top five, the current top five may not end up being the final top five. There's some matches in that six to nine range or six to eight range, really, not nine. That could sneak into the top five. Top 10 is wide open. I mean, top 10 is wide open. You This thing goes... I don't know, 30 matches deep of matches that can finish in the top 10 right now, realistically. And you got to remember, every time a match gets voted uh, match of the year, it gets 14 points. So you can toss in another, I don't know, 15 to 20 matches where if they get any, you know, if they get a, a first place vote here or there, a random first place vote, they're right in the mix to challenge for the top 10 as well. So there is a cluster beyond that, that top six or seven of matches where they, really anything could happen. So that'll be interesting. And those articles should come out. I mean, voting wraps up the 20th. So we'll start pumping these things out a couple days after that, maybe the 22nd, 22nd, 23rd. And then we'll slow roll it like we always do. A series of four or five articles. So look for that. That's coming up maybe next week. But as far as award season goes, the Observer Awards, which, you know, for better, worse, or indifferent, uh, are the, you know, most recognized wrestling awards in the world. And voting, I believe, is wrapped up. I didn't even turn in a ballot this year. I didn't even get to it. I mean, I've been so, you know, I am researched out when it comes to the New Japan book that we put out and, and this match of the year voting, I just, I cannot do another second of research. I need a break. So I didn't even submit a ballot. But others have, and a lot of them are public. And um, you know, there's one main theme that I want to touch on, and it's going to piss a lot of people off, and you know, you guys know that I don't care. 
and we're going to get to all that in a minute. That's going to be what we're going to lead off with. But before we do that, you should visit fathead.com. And you know why you should visit fathead.com? I'm going to tell you why. Because if you enter the code JAN123, J-A-N, as in the first three letters of January, 123, you can receive 15% off of any order up to $50. 20% off of any order between $50 and $99. And 30% off of any order over $100. And let me tell you something. If you go to fathead.com, you're going to spend over $100. I mean, there's no way around it. So you're looking at 30% off. You get yourself $100 fathead for 70 bucks. If you use the code JAN123, that's JAN123, fathead.com. On Voices of Wrestling right now, Brandon Howard has his excellent year-end review article on the front page where he breaks down match ratings, television ratings, attendance, he wraps up the year of 2015 in a 20,000-word bow. I don't know if it's 20,000 words, but it's a lot of words and a lot of charts. If you like charts and you like statistics, you got to check out Brandon, article, uh, Brandon Howard's article on the front page. I mean, it's just a tremendous job breaking down the year that was 2015. It'll open your eyes to some things. It'll open my eyes to some things, some of which I'm going to incorporate into today's show, so I'm going to save them for later. Also, Voice of Wrestling right now, John Carroll. This John Carroll, I'll tell you, with this Dragon Gate coverage. What a tremendous job this guy's doing, huh? He's got his Dragon Gate series up, parts one and part two. He's got one that looks at the units, one that uh, takes a brief look at uh, Dragon Gate history. I mean, these things, I, I consider myself a Dragon Gate fan, and I think Rich made a similar comment, and I learn a shit ton of things when I read these articles. And again, they're long too. Nothing that voices wrestling is ever short. We are not pithy. We keep it long. The devil is in the details, my friend. And you get the de- you get the details here. So if you're a big Dragon Gate fan, I highly suggest that, you know, his work on those two articles, which can be found on our front page right now. Or just search Dragon Gate. You'll find them. They'll pop right up. And even if you're not a Dragon Gate fan, if you're one of these guys who, or girls, if you're one of these people who's intimidated by Dragon Gate, you're listen, the gate can be very intimidating. It's promo heavy. They're speaking a foreign language. They incorporate all this back history into everything. I mean, you know, a ton of stuff goes over my head. A ton of stuff has probably gone over my head that I didn't even realize went over my head over the years when it comes to Dragon Gate. If you're someone who's intimidated by Dragon Gate, these articles are great because they really fill you in on what's going on and, and the motivations of the wrestlers and what and, and really, you know, what's happening in the company. So check those out as well. I think they're entertaining reads, even if you don't like Dragon Gate. I really do. Just if you're interested in wrestling history or just reading about wrestling. I mean, which I would assume everybody listening to this does. 
That's it for the plugs. I got some more, but let's get to it. You know, if you go to fathead.com and enter Jan123 for your fathead, maybe you'd like a Sasha Banks fathead. She's popular, right? She's popping up on a lot of Wrestler of the Year ballots. Wrestler of the Year, Most Outstanding in uh, Observer Vernacular. Now, you know, the Observer Awards, for those of you, listen, not everybody who listens to this reads the Wrestling Observer. And that's all right. We got thousands of listeners. They come from all corners of wrestling fandom. So I always like to take the time to explain, with the Wrestling Observer Awards, the wrestler, there is no award called Wrestler of the Year. There are two awards. One is Most Outstanding, which refers to the wrestler who had the best bell-to-bell year. Who had the best matches this year? That's Most Outstanding. They could have been the main event of WrestleMania or in your backyard in front of six people. It doesn't matter who had the best matches this year. And then there's the Flair Thez Award, which is an all-encompassing award. This is the big boy. This takes into account match quality, drawing ability, promo ability, everything. Everything. Whose year was it? When you think of 2015, who was the man? That's this award. That, that's the Flair Thez Award. So, I'm seeing Sasha Banks pop up on both of these lists. More so on the Flair Thez. And I'll tell you, I'm baffled by it. I'm genuinely baffled that she's getting support for the Flair Thez. Where's the argument? If Sasha Banks wins Wrestler of the Year, if she wins this Flair Thez Award, I am fully prepared to say, right now, on record, she would have the weakest resume of any Flair Thez winner in the history of wrestling. In the history of this award. The weakest resume. And I didn't do heavy research, but I did take a glance at the past winners, and honestly, I don't even think it's close. Her resume doesn't stack. And look, this is a weak year, and I still don't think she should even be a contender. I mean, you know, where is the argument? Let's look at the argument. She had three outstanding singles matches. Outstanding matches. All three of them match of the year contenders via consensus. I could tell you our match of the year poll, all three of those matches are doing very well. Well, one is kind of lagging behind the other two, but it's do they're, they're all doing very well. And that's great. 
probably name 20 wrestlers who had better in-ring years than Sasha Banks. Easy, off the top of my head. Three great matches? Guys, let me put it to you this way. Of the ballots I've seen, Sasha Banks has appeared on more ballots and has appeared in the number one spot. I, I, I'm going to throw a wrestler out there who isn't particularly doesn't really particularly have any momentum for, for wrestler of the year. And I don't know if he particularly should, to be completely honest. But I think he's a much stronger candidate than Sasha Banks. And I, I uh, you know, and anyone who wants to debate me, I'll blow him away. Hiroshi Tanahashi had more great matches in the first week of the G1 than Sasha Banks had all year. It's not even debatable. Now, her matches may have peaked higher than those first week G1 matches. But I'm comparing one week of Tanahashi's year to Sasha Banks' entire year. Never mind the second week of the G1, where Tanahashi had an all-time great final that a lot of people threw five stars at, and which is also doing very well in the match of the year voting. Never mind Tanahashi's uh, Wrestle Kingdom main event against Okada, which a lot of people threw five stars at and is doing very well in the match of the year voting, just like Sasha's matches are. Tanahashi had that Shibata match the second week of the G1. Let's not forget about that one. The AJ Styles match, the second to last night of the G1, or the third to last night. It was in Tokyo. I forget which night it was. I mean, if you're talking about volume of great matches, it's not even close. Tanahashi blows Sasha Banks away. Tanahashi went to DDT and and worked as a heel and had two great matches this year. He did it in two different promotions. In two different roles. And and, and my point here, and also, by the way, Tanahashi drew money this year. Tanahashi drew money in 2015. Real money. Sasha Banks sold some t-shirts. She might have sold a few tickets. She didn't draw the money Tanahashi drew. So where's the argument? I mean, you the strongest part of Sasha Banks' case is her match quality. And and she doesn't even match the match quality of a Tanahashi who no one's even talking about. Let alone the real contenders. Or the strongest contenders. I mean, by my personal count, Tanahashi had 11 matches this year, four stars or better. 11. Sasha Banks, if we're being liberal, the three great matches will give her the four-way. Which, by the way, I gave four stars. I gave that an even four based on how hard they worked. I didn't think it was a great match. But I thought, so let, there's four matches. I have her at four. And let's throw in, you know, this, one of the Charlotte House Show matches. A couple of them made tape. You know, people filmed them illegally or whatever. And 
they popped up on YouTube for a couple days. Let's give her five. Let's be extremely liberal and give her five. That's not even half as many as Tanahashi had. And again, I'm not comparing her to the strongest candidates for either award. Tanahashi is not the strongest candidate for either award. And she doesn't even stack up to him in any way. I mean, forget the other stuff. Just bell the bell. And just think about this. I'll throw some names at you. Was Sasha Banks as good this year? For the entirety of the year. As Chris Hero? As Roderick Strong? As AJ Styles? I mean, the answer is no. And, and, you know, maybe if you want to argue peak over over, um, volume, maybe... But, you know, but I mean, there's just, there's the resident. But here's here's the problem with Banks, too. Sasha Banks did nothing for half of the year on the main roster. Nothing. Not a thing of note. Not a thing of merit. Nothing. An absolute ghost. A dud. But Joe... She didn't have opportunities. Okay? It's an interesting talking point. It's also a false one. July 27th, Monday Night Raw. Sasha Banks defeats Paige. 13 minutes, 56 seconds. August 17th, Monday Night Raw. Sasha Banks defeats Nikki Bella. 10 minutes and 34 seconds. By the way, maybe the worst match of the year in WWE. The, maybe the worst televised match of the year in WWE this year. Sasha Banks versus Nikki Bella, by the way. Got 10 minutes. Sasha Banks defeats Paige. September 7th, 9 minutes and 55 seconds. Rematch on SmackDown, 9 minutes and 28 seconds. Main event, November 10th. Sasha Banks defeats Becky Lynch, 10 minutes and 8 seconds. TLC pre-show, Sasha Banks defeats Becky Lynch, 11 minutes and 42 seconds. Monday Night Raw, 12.28, Sasha Banks defeats Becky Lynch, 15 minutes and 40 seconds, which, by the way, was longer, was given more time than the Sasha Banks-Becky Lynch match at NXT TakeOver Unstoppable. Sasha Banks had plenty of opportunity to shine on WWE TV and pay-per-view. In singles matches. Plenty. I just gave you a half a dozen or more. She had a lot of short, meaningless ones too. There's no doubt about it. But she also was given time and opportunity to have great matches. But Joe, the bo- her booking, the booking was terrible. Yes, it was. But let me ask you a question. How come Cesaro doesn't have problems going on TV and having great matches despite the fact that he ne- that he's booked like a jobber, number one, 
you going to argue his booking is good? Are you going to argue that he gets opportunities? Yet somehow Cesaro goes out there every year, year after year, and is in the conversation as one of the best workers in the world. Not just the company, the world. He isn't given opportunities any more than Sasha Banks has got in the last six months of the year. He's booked horribly. He goes out there and produces. Joe, come on, you can't count TV matches. Well, then, don't, then, okay, well, then don't tell me Cesaro's some kind of great, then you can't count, it, it works both ways. You can't have it both ways. A lot of the same people who will tell you that Sasha Banks hasn't had opportunities or that you can't count Sasha Banks' TV matches will turn around and tell you how great Cesaro has been over the last few years on TV. You can't have it, no. You can't make both sides of that argument. I'm sorry, you can't. These are called excuses. She hasn't produced. She hasn't done a thing in six months on the main roster. Not a thing. How come Kevin Owens goes on TV every week and kills it? He killed it all year long on TV. He's in the same company with the same booking. Granted, this three-way women's feud was horrendous. No one will argue that. But when has Cesaro ever been booked well for more than a month at a time? Cesaro goes out there in completely meaningless matches, just like Sasha Banks, and kills it. Whether it's on main event, Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-view. I mean, I don't want to hear it. She hasn't done a thing on the main roster. She is a footnote on the main roster. A casual fan who doesn't pay attention to NXT, to that casual fan, Sasha Banks is no more of a star, no more of an entity than Tamina. Or Summer Rae. Or or Cameron. I mean, that's just the truth. Because she's done nothing on the main roster. Anyone voting her for the Flair Thez or Wrestler of the Year, most outstanding, you are basing it on three matches. Three outstanding matches, but you're basing it on three matches. And come on, that's not fair. That's not fair. She wouldn't win this award. She shouldn't win this award if it was just restricted to her own company. Either of them, most outstanding or wrestler of the year. She hasn't had a better year than Kevin Owens in the ring. She hasn't had a, she had a better year than John Cena. Come on. I don't think she's had a better year than Finn Balor. I went over that a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to go through all that again. Guy works his ass off every night. Go read the house show reports. Shit, I've been to them. I'm not discounting. A lot of people forget. People discount. I'm not discounting Sasha Banks and Charlotte's house show matches. I, I brought them up five minutes ago. I, but you better not discount Finn Balor's house show matches against Tyler Breeze and against Sheamus on the European tour. 
plenty of reviews. Four star, you know, you know, right in that four star range. Same thing with the, the Tyler Breeze matches. And I went to one. But I saw it with my own eyes. Let alone the fact that Finn Balor delivers on every NXT special as well. He may not have delivered at the peak that Sasha Banks delivered in her matches, but he delivers every time. And, and quite honestly, I can't fathom a Sasha Bank, uh, someone supporting Sasha Banks for these awards and not supporting Brock Lesnar. They have very similar cases. Brock Lesnar has as many great matches as Sasha Banks. Don't believe me? Royal Rumble three-way. Not a singles match. Blows away Sasha's four-way match. Blows it away. That was legitimately a great match. WrestleMania against Roman Reigns. Is anyone going to argue that wasn't a great match? Those two matches aren't on par, aren't on par with any of the three Sasha matches? Really? And Brock Lesnar drew real money. Not, he wasn't a draw for, you know, Paul's little playtime promotion in Florida. He's a, he's a big boy star on the big boy show. So how can, how can someone support Sasha Banks for these awards and not support Brock Lesnar if you're being fair? I mean, come on. I mean, shit, how can you not consider Bailey? We talk about Banks and her four big matches on the NXT spot. Bailey was in three of them. I mean, come on. And, that, and we're not even talking about the rest of the world here. This is just her company. I mean, in a night out, night out basis, I mean, you know, when you, you know, forget just, you can't just focus on the three matches. Night in, night out, 12 months, the entirety of the year, she's been a better wrestler than, than, than everybody in the world? I mean, come on, come on. Can we reel it in? She did nothing for six months. I mean nothing. About a week ago on Twitter, I put out a call. We have a lot of Twitter followers who are huge Sasha Banks fans and, and, and supporters of hers. And I, I sent out an honest question. I said, listen, I was doing research for my match of the year stuff, I was putting together a top 10 list and I was trying to find a way to get Sasha Banks into my top 10. Because believe it or not, despite the fact that I've ranted on this for 20 minutes or whatever it is, excuse me if you heard that belch. What a professional over here. Uh, You know, despite the fact that I've been ranting on this for 20 minutes, I'm a Sasha Banks fan. And I was trying to find a way to shoehorn her into my top 10 of the year and I couldn't do it. I was having a lot of trouble being objective and being fair and getting her into my top 10, despite the fact that I wanted to get her there. So I put out a call on Twitter. I said, all right, maybe I'm missing something. So I put out a call on Twitter. I know there's a lot of Sasha Banks fans on Twitter. I said, look, since she's gotten to the main roster, can somebody point me 
I said, how many three-star match? I'm not even giving her a high you know, bar to clear. Just good matches. Name me the Sasha Banks three-star matches on the main roster. And, and, then, and then point me to them, please. I watch Raw every week because if they're happening on main event or SmackDown, I, point me to them. Maybe I've missed them. Guys, I got one response. One person responded to me and vaguely said, I think she had a tag on SmackDown on September whatever it was. And I went and looked for the match and I had trouble finding it and then I gave up. Because then what I figured was, look, I could probably track down this match that this guy's talking about. And maybe it was a nice little three, three and a quarter star match. But even so, one three-star match since she's gotten to the main roster? One? Now, people, this, this was a wrestler who, when she was in NXT, people were claiming this was the best wrestler in the world. Which was insane. But now it sounds really insane. If you're the best wrestler in the world and you have, I don't know, what I named before, seven matches or something that are given plenty of time on WWE television, you'd think one of them would be good. And you'd think one of them wouldn't be one of the worst matches of the year. Which if I did turn in a ballot, Sasha Nikki from Minneapolis would be my worst match of the year. It was objectively horrible by any standard. And they were both, don't blame Nikki. Don't you dare. They were both horrible. And supposedly Nikki's a super worker too, but I'm not doing that today. Look, I like Sasha Banks. I'm a fan of Sasha Banks. I loved her stuff in NXT. She has not delivered on the main roster. She's been a complete dud. And I think this injury, and make no mistake, she is injured. She could take shots at Dave Meltzer all she wants. She's injured. Anyone who knows what's going on in the WWE these days with this culture of hiding injuries... This weird paranoia everybody has about injuries. Okay, look, I get into things that I promised I wouldn't even say. There's a lot of weird things going on in that company when it comes to injuries. And people not wanting to cop to injuries. You don't want to get... You don't want to get the reputation of being injury prone. You don't. I'll leave it at that. But I think this injury is the best thing. She can come back with a clean slate, refocus, and get on TV and deliver. You know, they, if they give you 12 minutes on Raw, like they have given her several times this year, go out there and fucking deliver and win those fans over who know nothing of NXT. Here's the thing, too. They gave her opportunities as soon as she got to the main roster. The page match was in July. It went 14 minutes. The Nikki match went almost 11 minutes. That was August. 
These were before the, the Brooklyn match. For crying out loud. I mean, come on. So where's the argument? She's not even close to the best worker this year. Not even in her own company. Certainly not the world. Chris Hero, Roderick Strong, AJ Styles, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, Tomohiro Ishii. She's had better years in the ring than these people. Are you people crazy? Tomoaki Hanma. You're telling me, a night-in, night-out basis, she's a better wrestler than Tomoaki Hanma was in 2015? I mean, you, you, you need your head checked if you think that's true. Some things can be debated and some things cannot. I mean, come on. Have you guys seen the year Okabayashi's had in Big Japan? Daisuke Sekimoto? Suji Ishikawa? I'm going to dig deep here. I'll dig deep. How about Hiroshima? She's been better than Hiroshima in the ring this year? Maybe you could debate that one. Maybe. I mean, some of these might be debatable. Some of them are slam dunks. And that's before we even factor in the rest of the stuff that goes along with a Flair Thez Award. I don't even think she has a case for most outstanding. She certainly doesn't have a case for Flair. I mean, come on. Reel it in. Reel it in. And I know people are excited about seeing a great female wrestler and a great female wrestler who's given chances. And that is great. But you still have to be fair and objective about things. The resume isn't there. It just isn't. And another big topic this week was all of her great matches were practiced and prepared. And since she hasn't had an opportunity to practice her matches, maybe that's why her performances have dwindled. I have my stance on on that is this. When it comes to a to to a great match, I don't give a shit if it's rehearsed. Feed me the meal. I don't care about the recipe. You feed me a great meal. I'll pat you on the back. Wow, that was a tremendous meal. Thank you. That was very tasty. If you start getting into, oh, thanks, you know, I used arugula instead of uh, 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 cabbage. And then what I did was I did uh, two dashes of garlic instead. Look, I've, I've turned, I don't care. I've turned you off. I don't even hear you. I don't care about your arugula. Okay? Your arugula means nothing to me. All I know is I had a great meal. Thank you very much. I'm going to walk away from the table with a big smile on my face. I don't care about the recipe. I don't care how, I don't care that you, you basted the brisket for 16 hours, but it doesn't matter to me. I don't, I don't care. A great match is a great match. I will not downgrade any of her great matches that, she, that, that Banks had this year. The Brooklyn match happened to be my favorite. I don't give a shit if they did that match 19 times in the Performance Center before they went out. It means nothing to me. It was a great match. And it didn't feel or look rehearsed whatsoever. It felt natural. It was a tremendous match. Becky match, great match. I gave it four and a quarter. I gave Brooklyn four and a half. 
the the, the Iron Man look. I'm not a fan of Iron Man matches, which took that down a notch for me. I gave that four and a quarter as well. But that was more... I, I don't need the gimmicks. I, the Iron Man match never works for me. I would just prefer a straight match. So, you know, if I was more into the Iron Man gimmick, I might have went higher on that. But that match lost me at points with the stupid scoring. I, I'm not into that. That's not my thing. Three great matches. Don't care how many times she, she rehearsed them or planned them. Doesn't matter to me. Now, if you're comparing workers, and you have worker A, who every great match they've ever had was heavily rehearsed and practiced, versus worker B, who just goes out there every night and has great matches and doesn't rehearse shit, can you make an argument that the person who doesn't rehearse is the better worker than the person who does? I think you can. I think you can. But not if the person who rehearses all of their matches consistently has better matches than the person who doesn't. I just want results. I just want results. But I mean, Sasha Banks to me, I mean, she just doesn't stack up to a whole shitload of people. I couldn't get her into my top 10. I just couldn't. You want to come at me with the intangible things or the things, uh, what, you know, what it means, what she's done for women's wrestling. I mean, okay, you can come at me with that's fine. But what has she really done for women's wrestling? What if we haven't seen those effects? Well, I mean, just look at it this way. If she's done so much for women's wrestling, why doesn't she get pushed? They don't even push her. And she's the one who supposedly changed things. So I don't even know if I buy that. If anything, she's shown that women, if given a chance, can have great matches in the WWE environment. We all knew they could have great matches outside of that environment. But she has shown that women could have great matches in the WWE environment. When given a chance. Hasn't led to a push for her. Hasn't led to change on the main roster. And oh by the way. You know. Paul with his little vanity promotion. Is working every one of you. In many ways. But especially from the perspective of making such a big deal. Out of Bailey and Sasha Banks main eventing. Uh, you may not remember this. They didn't main event the Brooklyn show that drew 16,000 fans. Finn Balor and Kevin Owens did. And listen, that's not to say if you would have flip-flopped those two matches that that show would have drawn one less fan because I don't think it would have. And you could argue that the Bailey and Sasha Banks match was the strongest push match on the show. But... If we're talking symbolism and we're talking change and we're talking all this feel-good stuff, we have to be fair. They did not main event that show, nor were they pushed as the main event. Where was the Bailey and Sasha Banks groundbreaking main event? It was in full sale in front of 400 people. This company 
hasn't had the guts, the guts to put the women on top, despite all of Paul's bullshit talk. A couple house shows here or there, and the full sale show. Why didn't they do it in Brooklyn? Because they don't have the guts. They could have done it in Brooklyn, and they should have did it in Brooklyn. Because it would have drawn the same number. So a lot of this supposed change that Sasha Banks sparked, which is, if you're going to make that part of your argument here, circling back to Wrestler of the Year, I don't even see evidence of that. It didn't even help her get pushed. It's just good PR for Triple H. That's all it is. It's, P- it's Triple H working everybody. I-, I pushed the women. They main evented. And full sale. He, he don't have the guts to main event him on the tag-along shows leeching off the WWE pay-per-views let alone a WWE pay-per-view. Well, first they got to learn how to get people over. That's, that's a whole nother uh, discussion. Before they even think about that. Imagine if they headlined a show now with this, the way they book these. I mean, forget it. So yeah, she has shown, Sasha Banks certainly was one of, uh, you know, a handful of women. Because again, Bailey was in three of those matches. Let's not forget that have shown that the women can have great matches if given a chance. I haven't seen all this other change that, that Triple H talks about, but really hasn't occurred. So I'm sorry, I just don't see an argument for Sasha Banks. And I have a feeling, I mean, she has an excellent chance to win some of these awards. I think ultimately she won't. But I think she has an excellent chance to win some of these awards and I just think she'd have the weakest resume of anyone ever to win them. I really do. I mean, really, you know, if you're listening to this show, you're a good fan. I mean, you're a good wrestling fan. Chances are you know your stuff when it comes to wrestling. I mean, really sit down and think about this. Think about how many wrestlers you saw in 2015 that had more than three great matches. Think about it. I bet you can come up with at least 10. At least. Because that's all she has. That's all she's got, man. Give her five. Let's make it. We'll give her the four-way and give her a Charlotte House. Go ahead. Give her her a half dozen. You still come up with about 10 guys, I bet. Or girls, for that matter. There's some stardom matches that are killing it in our match of the year poll. Brandon Howard in his year-end article counted up matches that went over four stars and went over four and a half stars using Voices of Wrestling, uh, Alan Cunahan, and uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which takes into account probably, I don't know, um, a dozen different reviewers because on our site alone, you're talking, you know, we've got a million people working for this. I don't even know all the people who work for our site who give out star ratings. So, um, now look, everyone's tastes are different, but I think this provides a nice little snapshot. Number of matches, four stars are better. And according to Brandon's research, 
Sasha actually had six, which is more than I gave her credit for. Um, probably some of some of those house shows that were taped or, or something, uh, you know, ended up being star rated by various people. That ranks her 45th in the world this year in four star matches. 45th! Less than Genki Horiguchi. Bobby Fish, BB Hulk, Tommy End, let alone all the names you would expect. But Joe, why are we punishing Sasha Banks for, you know, meaningless WWE TV matches and not punishing guys, the New Japan guys like Tanahashi and Nakamura for dogging it in meaningless New Japan matches? They only show up for the big matches. Well, I already addressed why, uh, you know, Sasha Banks doesn't even perform to the level of, of the top workers in her own company in quote-unquote meaningless WWE television matches, guys like Cesaro and Kevin Owens, who blow her away in, in television performances, which to me give her no excuse. But if you continue, if you want to make that argument and, and extrapolate it to New Japan, all right, well, let's do it. Also, according to Brandon's research, we'll go back to Tanahashi since I used him earlier. Tanahashi had 73 matches that were rated this year based on the three sources that he used. 32 of those matches came out three and a half stars or better. 32. 13, by the way, came out four stars or better. Remember, my personal data only gave Tanahashi credit for 11. So I actually was, I had a lesser opinion of Tanahashi than this conglomerate of reviewers did. They've got him at 13. I had him at 11. 32 matches at three and a half stars or better out of the 73. Now, you know, need I remind you, New Japan runs um, uh, 14 major shows per year. They run two in February, two in September, and then one major show per month for all the other months. And then if you want to throw in the G1, uh, you know, that's another 12 matches or so. So we're talking about 25 matches, uh, potential matches on quote-unquote big shows. And... Tanahashi still eclipsed that with a total number of 32, which means some of those meaningless house shows where he supposedly dogs it were still three and a half stars or better. And and, and I will remind you that on those 14 major New Japan shows per year, Tanahashi isn't always in a featured match. On about every other, you know, there, there's a few shows there scattered throughout the year where he's fourth from the top working a six-man. And he's obviously delivering in, in some of these matches where the reputation is that they're dogging it. Because he's got 32 such matches that were over three and a half stars. Shinsuke Nakamura, notorious for dogging it, right? 34! 34 three and a half stars are better. 19 of them singles matches. By the way, Shinsuke Nakamura, 34 matches, that led the world last year. Remember, this is a guy who dogs it unless he's in a big singles match. 
Second place was a three-way tie. Prince Puma slash Ricochet, AJ Styles, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. I mean, facts are facts. And some of these aren't hard facts, but... You know, it's... it's the, All I'm saying is, the resume doesn't stack up. And to me, a Flair Thez argument or a Wrestler of the Year argument for Sasha Banks just... Uh, I don't know, I just, I'm not feeling it, man. Not by any of the criteria. I mean, it just doesn't stack up. Was she a better wrestler this year than Zack Sabre Jr.? I mean, match for match. You know, even if you thought the Brooklyn match or the Iron Man were five-star matches, it's still three matches, man. Three matches. If you're being as generous as possible, it was six. Surrounded not by a bunch of three and a half star stuff that everyone claims you're dogging it. Like your ricochets or your New Japan guys who people claim are dogging it, but still putting up three and a half stars. But I mean her periphery stuff has been trash. Her 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 main roster stuff, let's be honest. Hot fucking garbage. She's done nothing. Not a thing. So you can get lost with Sasha Banks as Wrestler of the Year. Not this year. Maybe next year, 2016 or 2017. She's got a big time run on the main roster. Truly main events a show that means something. Bailey comes up, they recreate that magic. Let's talk then. I think we all jumped the gun in 2015. 2015 was a was the breakthrough. But man, she's got a lot to prove. And this is what happens when when you're when you're in that upper echelon now. This isn't Paul's little show in Florida anymore. You know, it, it's it's there's there's more focus, there's more. She's got to deliver. I think she has the ability to do so. Time will tell. She's not there yet. And before we segue into part two, where we're going to talk some Japan, a couple months ago there was a lot of Roman Reigns chatter for Wrestler of the Year. And I came on this show and deconstructed that. And the funny thing is, after I completely deconstructed his case for Wrestler of the Year, he actually had his strongest portion of the year after we did that show. And what's interesting is, he still isn't showing up on, on, on many ballots that I've seen. So, for the people who blasted me for that one, I looks like Lanza was right again. We'll be back with part two where we bounce around Japan.
Hi, everybody. Rob McCarran here. Joe Lanza will be back with part two of this week's VOW podcast in just a moment. I wanted to take a moment to remind you that the 2015 New Japan Pro Wrestling Year in Review is available right now in ebook form at Amazon and VoicesOfWrestling.com. For just $4.99 on Amazon, you can get this great 2015 review and 2016 outlook featuring essays, complete roster profiles and show reviews, and much more. You can visit VoicesOfWrestling.com for a link to the book via PayHip, which will allow you to name your own price for this year's ebook, even if that price is free. That's right, pay nothing for it or donate a few dollars our way at your discretion for this fantastic NJPW resource. All of the info is up right now at VoicesOfWrestling.com. If you download the book, let us know what you think by writing a review on Amazon or commenting at the VoicesOfWrestling.com forums. We hope you enjoy it, and we thank you for supporting Voices of Wrestling. Now back to part two with Joe Lanza of this week's Voices of Wrestling podcast. All right, back for part two. We're going to do uh, pretty much exclusively Japan on the second half of the show here. But one more quick point. You know, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse with the Sasha Banks thing, but one thing I was thinking about as I took my break between uh, parts one and part two of this show was, I mean, think about this. If... If I haven't convinced you that a wrestler of the year argument for Sasha Banks is patently absurd, I mean, just look at it this way. You know, in your eyes, think about Sasha Banks in the year she had. Was she the biggest star in wrestling last year? I mean, really genuinely think about that. Was Sasha Banks the biggest star in professional wrestling last year? You know, and that award isn't necessarily for the biggest star or whatever, but I mean, you know, when you have a wrestler who was a complete non-entity for half of the year in the biggest company in the world, I mean, I don't know. I just I, I think it, yeah, it's crazy talk. All right, well, let's move on. New Japan. Big news out of New Japan this week. There's constantly big news out of New Japan this year. This time, what we had was news breaking as everybody patiently waited for the new beginning cards on the heels of the four New Japan wrestlers jumping to WWE. And of course, Rocky Romero re-signing with New Japan for two years. Bad Luck Fale re-signing with New Japan for two years. Tamatanga, as of this recording, his future still very much up in the air. Now, the last thing I was told was he was not he's not been offered anything from WWE. So he's either waiting around for a WWE offer or he's leveraging New Japan based on the fact that he could get a WWE offer. I don't know what's going on with Tamatanga. If you put a gun to my head, I say he's back in New Japan this year. Probably for two years, since they seem to be giving people two-year deals now. But we know who's leaving for sure, and one of those guys is Shinsuke Nakamura. And his final night is the 30th of January, and we all figured that'd be the night he would drop the Intercontinental title to Kenny Omega, Cork and Hall. And that is not going to be the case. Shinsuke Nakamura was stripped of the Intercontinental title this week. That title is vacant, and Kenny Omega is going to be in a title decision match against X 
not Shelton X Benjamin, although I guess it could be. Could be anybody. Could be like that Chikara gimmick where, you know, Remsburg brings out the hat and they just pick names out of the hat. And then Bryce runs to the back to see if that person's in the building. And they keep picking names until they, you know, they come up with someone who's in the building. You never know. This is X. Could be anybody. It can't be Shinsuke Nakamura. His last night's the 30th. His contract is up the next day. And then it's off to Florida. At some point in February. He's currently vacationing in Sri Lanka. That's right, Sri Lanka. That hot vacation destination. Who the hell vacations in Sri Lanka? I mean, seriously. He wants to get away before his final New Japan tour. He got Fantastic Mania coming up in a few days, and then his final New Japan tour after that. I get it, you know, and then he's embarking on a new portion of his career, WWE. I get it. You want to take a breather? I understand. Maybe Hawaii, maybe Aruba, Acapulco, Florida Keys, Sri Lanka? Who goes to Sri Lanka? I mean, seriously. But this is a weird guy. I mean, you know, in more ways than one. So when he gets back from Sri Lanka, Nak is going to work these uh, final two if you want to call them two tours, it's really one long split tour. But Fantastic Mania starting on the 17th, wrapping up the 24th, and then the Road to New Beginning starting five days later on the 29th and running through the, uh, uh, the 8th, February 8th. So that Cork and Hall show, the 30th, January 30th, is actually the second show on the New Beginning tour. So he'll work the first two shows on that New Beginning tour. He'll wrap it up in Cork and Hall. Six-man match. Now, first of all, let's cut through some of the, 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 the false things that are floating around. There is no tournament to determine Kenny Omega's opponent. I think what happened here was, when you translate, when you use Google Translate to translate Japanese, you know, whatever the Japanese word is for card or, or show, gets translated to tournament in English. So I think that's where people were confused. You'll see things where it'll say, for example, the January 30th Tokyo Cork and Hall tournament. Well, it doesn't mean tournament literally. It just means the the January 30th Tokyo Cork and Hall card. So I think people read tournament in some of these stories that were translated and, and had the idea that New Japan was holding some sort of tournament. There's no tournament. It's Kenny Omega versus an opponent to be determined. Now, in hindsight, I think... Okay, let me start here. When Kenny Omega pinned Nakamura in that tag match at New Year Dash, and it is New Year Dash. There's no apostrophe S. It's not New Year's Dash. It's New Year Dash, which is very awkward to say, but that's what the show is called. But anyway... When he pinned Nakamura at New Year Dash and then they destroyed AJ Styles and he cut his promo 
basically challenging Nakamura. He said flat out, I'm not challenging Kushida, I'm challenging Nakamura for the IC title. It was very clear that as of the 5th of January, the plan was for Kenny Omega to face and defeat Shinsuke Nakamura for the Intercontinental title. Something obviously changed. Now that's important information. That's important. Now hold that thought. He challenged Nakamura. He wouldn't have done that without direction. Over the next couple of days, stories broke in Japan and legitimate newspapers. This isn't like the West where it's just, you know, wrestling is covered on the fringes by, you know, websites like Voices of Wrestling or by people like Dave Meltzer who, you know, exist in the rest. We all exist in the wrestling bubble. In Japan, the sports sections of the, 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 the newspapers cover this stuff. So the news broke that Nakamura was on his way to WWE in the Japanese newspapers. The press caught on. And at that point, that's when the plans changed. So now you have to ask why. The question is, why not move forward and continue to do the Omega-Tanahashi match on the 30th in Cork and Hall? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. I think we can reasonably surmise that New Japan feels like now that the cat is out of the bag and the news is broke and it's common knowledge by anybody who picks up a newspaper or clicks onto the internet that Nakamura has one foot out the door that they're not going to insult the fans by doing a match that destroys kayfabe that the entire world knows that Kenny Omega is going to win. If this were America... If this were the UK, if this were Mexico, they would move forward with the Nakamura with the Nakamura Omega match. I I have no doubt. We've seen it a million times. I think in Japan and in particular New Japan, the mindset is very different. The jig is up. Everyone knows he's going. We're not going to have this insulting match. I believe it's as simple as that. I do believe that's the explanation. Now, you might be saying, but hold on a second. Guns and Gallows are facing Makabe and Hanma in a rematch. Well, listen. Those guys aren't Shinsuke Nakamura, and that's not back-page news in the sports sections of the newspapers that those two goofballs are leaving. That really doesn't matter. That's a little different. I could see moving forward with that. Now I have to co- I have to cop to something here. When the story broke, I misread an article, and I thought they pulled Nakamura from all the shows. And I made some tweets that were incorrect that people picked up on, saying that basically they were just kicking Nakamura to the curb and just. Adios. We don't even want you to do the job. No send-off. Just go away. But that's not the case. I misread that. He was not removed from all of these shows. He's working through. He's working every show that New Japan is holding until his contract is up. The 30th is is it. Because the next show after that is February 2nd. And he'll be gone by then. He's not working that show. Or any show after. 
The new beginning shows are in the middle of February. So that was incorrect. And I did send out at least two or three corrections to those tweets, but it doesn't matter. The, the train was already rolling. So you may have seen some tweets from me in the middle of the night that night that had incorrect information. I apologize. I sent out two corrections and I apologize now. Nothing else I can do. Sometimes you screw up, but you know what can you do? So I think that's the mindset of the decision not to have the singles match. And quite honestly, I don't think that's as big a deal as people are making it out to be. And I'm going to tell you why. He already beat Nakamura. He got the visual pin on Nakamura. Yes, it wasn't a singles match. Yes, it wasn't for the title, but he got the pin. And not only that, he destroyed AJ Styles. Those are two big scalps. If X turns out to be Tanahashi and he wins that match, that's three big scalps in a matter of six weeks. Nakamura, Styles, Tanahashi. I mean, you know, in, in terms of getting a push, it doesn't get any stronger than that. I mean, you can't, you can't get much stronger than that. In terms of attempting to push a guy and move him up, I mean, that, that's very strong. Here's the thing, though. From what I hear, and I've heard this from two independent sources that have nothing to do with one another, I'm hearing that X is not Tanahashi. I am hearing that X is not Tanahashi. Now, let me tell you something. I understand that the Nagata New Beginning show which is the smaller of the two New Beginning shows, and it's not in an enormous building. The bigger New Beginning show is in Osaka. That, of course, is being headlined by Kazuchika Okada defending the title against Hiroki Goto in a very well-built match, I will say. They're doing their best to ensure that that match draws fans. That's in the old Bodymaker Coliseum. It's now called the Edeon Arena in Osaka. This Kenny Omega match is three nights later in Niigata in a smaller building. But I'll tell you what, there's no support underneath. You've got the Hanma Makabe versus Guns and Gallows match, and then you've got Kushida defending the junior title against Bushi, which is going to be an outstanding match, and I cannot wait for that. Bushi has been on fire. A guy to keep an eye on in 2016 for sure. But... To continue my point, this is going to, if it's not Tanahashi, who, by the way, is not booked for a new beginning match yet. They've announced all the title matches. Tanahashi is not in a title match, which is why people are assuming that this is Tanahashi, because he hasn't been announced for anything yet. If this isn't Tanahashi, they've got enormous balls to headline this show with Kenny Omega versus whoever. So let's look down the possibilities. I've seen so many people throwing out so many stupid ideas. I mean, can we be realistic? I saw one guy saying, ah, why don't they think outside the box and make this a CMLL guy? Okay, first of all, Fantastica Mania is a month before the, the New Beginning shows. What are you going to do, just stick the guy in a hotel for a month? And don't you think whoever it is, like CMLL wants these, they're going to need these guys in Mexico 
after that tour's over to come back, you know. You can't just, you know, hide a guy in a hotel for a month if you're New Japan just because you... And not only that, you're going to headline one of the new beginning shows with, like, some, you know, Stuka Jr. or some shit? Can we be realistic, please? You're not booking your Total Extreme Warfare fucking fed on your computer here. This is real business. Hey, you're not putting Kenny Omega against Grand Guerrero in New Beginning. Come on, stop. Would you please stop? So who can it be if it's not Tanahashi? Let's look down the realistic options. Another another person. Bring in uh, Sonata. Saya Sonata? Are you serious? The guy means nothing in Japan. New Japan fans don't care about Sonata. Saya Sonata came back to Japan. He's working on the mid-card in big Japan shows on the losing end of tag team matches. In big Japan. In big Japan, he's a non-entity. New Japan's going to bring this guy in and stick him in a pay-per-view main event? Guys, be realistic. I'm telling you, nothing brings out the stupid like a mystery opponent. It, it, you know, it, it, it really is amazing. So who can it realistically be if it's not going to be Tanahashi? Let's look at all the options and uh, weigh the positives and negatives and, uh, you know, and see how realistic they can be. Kota Ibushi is going to return at some point from injury and, and there's been some hints that he could be coming back soon. And he's obviously a worthy person to put in this spot. The problem is you'd be wasting him for several reasons. For several reasons. First reason is, I don't know if you want to waste the Kota Ibushi-Kenny Omega match, which is a match that New Japan hasn't done, and a match that can potentially draw money down the line on this smaller of the two new beginning shows in Nagata, Japan. I don't know if you, you don't want to do that. That'd be a, a monumental waste. The other thing is, if it's going to be Kota Ibushi, why not announce him ahead of time so he can sell some fucking tickets? He's a draw. This is a weak lineup. It would help sell some tickets. So it, it, Kota Ibushi just makes no sense. Plus, I don't believe it, you know he's you know still injured and all that. It just it's not going to be Kota Ibushi. Tetsuya Naito is not announced for New Beginning yet. But that's a weird match. You got two heels. It's the dynamic is all wrong. The dynamic is all wrong. So I don't feel like it'll be Naito. Michael Elgin is on this tour, but is not announced for a match. And on the final show before these events, he's opposite Kenny Omega in a tag. I could also tell you that I have been told that Michael Elgin is X. I, listen, that's not verified. Don't go reporting this to Scoops with a Z. 
I'm just saying that, that some, you know, people have told me, multiple unrelated sources have told me that they believe Michael Elgin is X. And that has actually picked up some steam over the last couple days on the Twitter machine. There's a lot of speculation that Michael Elgin is X. Now, if they headline with Kenny Omega versus Michael Elgin, that takes enormous balls. I mean, that's just a crazy-sounding main event with no support underneath. Again, it isn't the largest building in the world, but I'll tell you what. New Japan did send out a tweet the other day saying that the 130 Corkin show sold out instantly, which makes sense. Nakamura's final match... Gork and Hall, New Japan. Okay, that's going to sell out. That shouldn't be any kind of surprise. The second part of that tweet was they said Nagata did not have many tickets left available. So Nagata selling very well as well. Which means, you know what? You may not need to waste Tanahashi in this spot. This could be a situation, and I don't think it is, and I'm going to tell you why. But this could be a situation where New Japan threw the X in this match to see how ticket sales went, and then they were going to announce an opponent based on how those ticket sales are going. Well, shit, if the show does well, you don't have to waste Tanahashi. You could make it. You could, it could be a Mike Elgin. Because remember, with AJ Styles and Nakamura out the door, your pairings, your money matchups are extremely limited this year. More so than they were last year. You have to preserve them. If you burn Tanahashi Omega on New Beginning and Nagata of all shows... You don't have that to use down the line on another show. It's already been done that first time. So when you really think about it, Mike Elgin makes a lot of sense. Not just because of whispers I've been hearing, but because you're not burning a major match, especially if tickets have already moved without even announcing an opponent. With all of that said, I don't think that's what New Japan is doing here. They plan things out in advance. They generally stick to the plan. I don't think this is a company that would say, okay, let's do an option A, option B thing, see how tickets go, and then make it to no. Because I think they know who the opponent is, they know who's going to win the match, and then they know their next three Kenny Omega moves moving forward from this match. And I don't think, I think putting two different men in this match change those future chess moves. And I, that's just not how Gato and Jado operate. It just isn't. We all know how conservative they are and how they plot everything out. They know who this opponent is, regardless of how the tickets move. So we'll see. I'm hearing it's Elgin. Twitter believes it's Elgin. Meltzer thinks it's Tanahashi. I think we all thought it was Tanahashi at first. It just made too much sense. Whoever are the odd men out here are probably going to face some combination of Naito and the Los Ingobernobles on the uh, New Beginning in Osaka show. Naito and Evil most likely since Bushi. I don't think you're going to put Bushi in two matches. You know, they just don't do that. 
he's already in the title match the next night. So whoever the odd man out are will probably place, face the Los Ingobernobilis because they don't have a match either yet. You got to get them in the mix. So we know the Nagata show, and that's the second of the two shows on the 14th. Kenny Omega versus, realistically, you have two options. It's either going to be Michael Elgin or Hiroshi Tanahashi. Those are really the only two realistic options. Then you have Hanma and Makabe defending against Gallows and Anderson. This will be Gallows and Anderson's final night. And then Kushida against Bushi. So those are the three title matches in Nagata. Osaka, obviously, bigger building, much stronger card. Okada versus Goto. Young Bucks in a three-way. Yuck. Against Red Dragon and Matt Seidel and Ricochet. Same match from Wrestle Kingdom minus Rapongi Vice, who are not on the tour. Don't read into that. As we said, Rocky Romero already re-upped for two years. Now, they may have been left off the tour because Romero had not been signed when they finalized the tour, but I I wouldn't read into that either. Sometimes guys just don't work a tour. Shibata defends against Ishii. And the never-open-weight six-man titles, the Briscoes are back. They team with Yano. And they defend against Tonga, Yujiro, and Fale. So Tama Tonga is going to work the tour, presumably without a contract. And we'll see if something gets worked out on the tour. One thing I'll say, this never open weight six man, they're using this title exactly the way myself and Rich laid out the usage of this title on last week's show or the week before, whatever it was. It's getting defended everywhere. They defended it at New Year Dash in Cork and Hall. They're going to defend it here at New Beginning. Perfect. Perfect. I want to see this belt defended 10 times this year. I really do. Just stick it on every show. Whenever the Briscoes are in town, they should be defending this title at Cork and Hall or on the pay-per-view on every tour. Or both. Why not? It's a little undercard title. You can put any combination of guys in there to face off with them. Last time it was the Young Bucks and Fale. This time it's Tonga, Yujiro, and Fale, who were the same opponents they won the titles from at Wrestle Kingdom. Well, they didn't win them from them, but, you know, the vacant titles. This is great usage of this title. This is great. This is what I want to see. Give these six mans a little juice. People complained about these titles. You take these titles away, and, you know, who would give a single shit? About a, a you know a Tamatanga Yujiro Takahashi Bad Luck Fale six man match. This title gives some of these cards some depth. Fun little main event in Corken Hall. Some depth here in Osaka. People were way off base about these titles. They really were. We were dead on about that. Good job by New Japan. Keep your eyes on the Briscoes. They, they, they really seem like they like working here. 
We'll see how Okada does in Osaka against Goto. It's a big test. I'll tell you something surprising about Goto, though, but I do think there's an explanation for it. We're going to refer back to Brandon Howard's year-end article where he broke down the drawing ability of, of, the, uh, of the wrestlers in New Japan. And the one thing that kind of stuck out for me was Hiroki Goto. Let's take a look at this. New Japan main events that drew over 3,000 fans. Tanahashi was first. He had eight such events. These are main event matches. And all of those were singles matches for, for, uh, for Tanahashi. And six of those eight drew over 5,000 fans. So Tanahashi was the king of New Japan last year in terms of drawing. Okada was second. AJ Styles third, tied with Nakamura. But fifth place, you would think, was Kota Ibushi, right? It wasn't. He was edged out by Hiroki Goto. Hiroki Goto headlined six shows that drew over 3,000 fans, five of which were singles matches, and all five of those singles matches drew over 5,000 fans. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong column. Six? He did have the six main events that drew over 3,000 fans. Four of those six were singles matches. And three of those four singles matches drew over 5,000 fans. Six main events over 3,000 fans, five of which, four of which were singles matches, and three of which drew over 5,000 fans. Did you get all that? God, I'm a dud. Can't even read a column properly. Just read the article. Don't listen to me. I can't, I can't talk properly. Kota Ibushi was literally right behind. He had five main events that drew over 3,000 fans. And identical to Goto, four of them were singles matches, and three of them drew over 5,000 fans. So Goto being neck and neck and essentially on the same level of Kota Ibushi in terms of being a draw surprised me a little. But there is an asterisk you have to consider. Abushi was hurt towards the end of the year. Missed some shows. And Goto, you know, you know, a lot of his bigger drawing events were against Nakamura. And clearly Nakamura was the draw in those matches. He wrestled Nakamura four times. Several of those were main events. So, no, it's, it's, but I, you know, still with all of that said, I was still a little surprised. So we'll see how he does with Okada in Osaka. I think Goto is more popular with the New Japan fan base than people in the West want to give him credit for based on the fact that he's always booked as the bridesmaid. He never wins the big one. He's something like 0-8. I think an IWGP heavyweight title challenges soon to be 0-9 or 0-10 or whatever because I think he's 0-8 currently. But 
he he does have a certain level of popularity with with the New Japan fan base, as evidenced by the way he drew last year. If you go down the line, it you know Naito would be after Ibushi with four main events over three thousand fans. The thing with Naito is he only had one main event, one singles main event that drew over five thousand, and a couple of his three thousand main events were tag matches, including the World Tag Tag League Final, which a lot of those tickets may have been sold before people even knew who the finalists would be. And then Togi Makabe, who we talk about a lot, who, you know, is still counted on, he comes in next. And then after that, it's just a bunch of just random guys who, you know, a lot of which were just happened to be part of tag matches that drew, that, you know, were on top on cards that drew and whatnot. No one of significance after Makabe. So we'll see. These are... These are the new beginning shows and the tour as a whole. It, you know, we'll see if if fans are annoyed with the idea that Nakamura and AJ are, are gone. It'll be our first indication. The company has been deep enough over the last couple of years to run these split shows. We're going to find out real quick if they're no longer deep enough. You look at the, 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 the Nagata show and you can see the depth that me and Rich harped on last week. The depth issue is a problem. It is a problem. We'll see if they do the split. I don't know if they've got the, you know, they usually plan the entire year out. I, you know, I don't know if they're doing the split pay-per-view again in September. If they are, we'll see how it shakes out then. We'll see if they've successfully elevated a few guys by then. And I think where you're really going to see the depth come into play is the G1. The last two, the last uh, three years of the G1, 13, 14, and 15, were some of the greatest tournaments in wrestling history from a match quality perspective. Now, you take away AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura, especially AJ Styles. And listen, Nakamura is great, and he's had great matches too, but AJ Styles has been you know, incredible in these G1s. And Nakamura too, despite the fact he'll take a night off now and then. Those are big losses on these G1 shows, Those losing those two guys. And to a lesser extent, Carl Anderson, who always chipped in every year with two or three four-star matches in that tournament, went in there with the right opponent. Great chemistry with Okada. Great chemistry with Nakamura. He, you know, Carl Anderson with the right opponent, goes out there and has great matches. So to a lesser extent, him too. Now, Gallo stinks, and whoever replaces him will be an upgrade. But that will not mitigate the difference of losing the other three. Not a chance. Even with Omega stepping up in class. And listen, I'm very high on... I think Kenny Omega at his best is one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world. I've said that from the moment he entered the company. But, you know, you still got to replace Nakamura. You still got to replace Carl uh, Anderson. The G1. Keep an eye on the G1. Look, we're far away. I probably won't talk about it again until it gets here. But, you know, people complain they don't bring in enough outsiders. This might be the year where they need to bring in some outsiders. 
if they're interested in keeping up that that you know the the uh, the match quality standard that they have over the last three years. So that's New Japan. Bounce around Japan a little bit and talk about a couple other topics. All Japan. Suwama wins the Triple Crown from Jun Akiyama and days later is stripped of the title because he tore his Achilles tendon in that match. Devastating injury for Suwama. Devastating injury for All Japan, which can't afford this kind of disaster with people jumping off the roster, quitting. All the other problems they're having. And then All Japan makes one of the worst booking decisions you'll ever see with their vacated title. They're going to have Kento Miyahara facing Zeus for the vacant title. Now, Miyahara is the guy that they have been grooming very carefully and very slowly to be the top star of the company, and it's the right decision. Whereas Noah has not been grooming anyone to be the next star of their company, All Japan has been systematically grooming Kento Miyahara to be the top guy, and he has all of the tools. The problem is I think All Japan is unsavable. I really do. Short of Mitsuhara Masawa returning from the grave, All Japan is unsavable in my opinion. Of course, they're not going to operate under that premise. They're going to operate under the premise that eventually they're going to turn their business around, as well they should. And Kento Miyahara is the right guy. He had a feud with Jun Akiyama, and Jun Akiyama put him over in that feud. He's had some tag team title runs. He's been in some tremendous tag team matches. Um, you know, he's he's they've done all of the right things with him. He's had some triple crown title challenges against Akabono, where he was just overpowered. Um, but you know, came off looking like he had a lot of fighting spirit and all that stuff. They've pushed him properly. He was clearly the next guy. The problem is beating Zeus for the title means absolutely nothing and is as flat as a title win can possibly be. Zeus stinks. Yes, he's improved to a degree. He's not a credible triple crown opponent. And he's not the guy that you want your 26-year-old you know, burgeoning superstar to defeat to kick off his first triple crown run. I mean, this is an enormous mistake. An enormous mistake. To the point that where I hope Zeus wins the match. Now, Zeus as triple crown champion is a bad idea, but let's be honest. Nothing can sink all Japan further than they are now. I mean... They're sunk as they're on the bottom of the ocean. You can't get any further down than they are right now. So you might as well just have Zeus win this match and save the Miyahara win for down the line. But if you're going to do that, why are you going to have Miyahara lose another title chat? He's already lost a few. And to Zeus of all people, they, they just, you know, we talk about booking yourself into a corner. 
And Rich always harps on the idea that that should never happen because you're controlling every event. This isn't booking yourself into a corner. This is intentionally booking yourself into a grave when you did not have to. Why is this match happening? Why are either of these men in this match? If you're going to put Miyahara... Look, he's going to beat Zeus. You're not going to have... If he loses to Zeus, that's an absolute fucking disaster to have him lose to Zeus at this point. Losing to Akabono is one thing. They were telling a story with those Akabono matches. I don't have a problem with that. But to Zeus? Come on. So unless they've completely lost their heads, he's beaten Zeus. The problem is it'll come off very flat. Horrible way to kick off a title run. Horrible way, especially since it's his first one. Which begs the question, why is Akiyama not in this match? Kayfabe, you you have built an excuse. He was the last champion before Suama. So you can do Akiyama versus Zeus and just put the title back on Akiyama. Or you can do Akiyama versus Miyahara, and Miyahara can beat Akiyama for the title, which would mean something. And it would also continue the story of he continues to, to get the best of Akiyama, who's the ace of the company. Another strong win over Akiyama. Nice little story. You could have done that. All of this leads me to thinking this. I think the plan all along was to have Miyahara defeat Suwama for the Triple Crown. They already had him go over Akiyama, so I guess they figured they didn't have to have him beat him for the belt. Or belts, in this case. Or I think it's one belt now. I don't know. Um... So I really think the idea was for Miyahara to beat Suwama at some point in 2016. And they didn't know what to do or how to get out of it. And I guess they figured one of his first defenses could be against Akiyama. So in order to not burn that off, they're just going to have him beat Zeus so that he still has those Suwama and Akiyama matches down the line. I think that's stupid. Emergencies call for emergency measures. Maybe your plans got blown up. Maybe you're, but you know, injuries happen. Adjust. It's more important. The title win is more important than setting up the defenses down the line. You can cross that bridge when you get to it. He needs a strong win. And that win is Akiyama. Akabono's not around anymore. So in a situation very similar to New Japan, where unfortunately Kota Ibushi is never going to get that win over Nakamura because shit happens and the guy left. Nothing you can do about it now. Sorry about your luck. Same thing applies here. Miyahara can never get that win back against Akabono after Akabono kicked his ass a million times. So really, the only guy he could beat with any credibility... For that title is Akiyama, and that's what they should have done. I, you know, Zeus. Look, I know all Japan has a very weak roster at the moment, but Zeus. I mean, pick a name out of a hat. Do the Chikara gimmick here, and you could have done a better job than this. How about Omori? 
Anybody. So th to me, this is a huge mistake. And I, I really hope, you know, Zeus is, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think Zeus should win. I really believe that. Since they've already booked the stupid match, it'll do some damage to Miyahara to lose to Zeus. I mean, they already booked it. So, I mean, it just... I feel like you can rehab Miyahara from that loss easier. You can only win that title. Look, we talked about this at Roman Reigns. You can only win that title the first time once. You know what I mean? And it's... You, 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 they're blowing it. They're blowing it on Zeus. Yuck. Yuck. Ugh. You know, this is all Japan. I mean, you know... I. I'm not that guy. I'm really not. I mean, anyone who's listened to this show for a number of years knows when people say, oh, I just wish TNA would fold. I'm always the guy saying, no, you know, it's better for the business if these companies exist, even if they're weak. I never root for TNA to fold. I really don't. I never have. I really would prefer if All Japan just folded up the tent. I really would. I mean, I enjoy watching the promotion from time to time. They had some really good tag matches last year. Their triple crown matches are usually very good. But it would be, you know, better for the wrestling business, particularly now with, you know, New Japan losing, um, you know, talent in the raid, where it would almost be better if All Japan just folded up the tent and all of the useful parts just scattered around Japan. I mean, that's essentially what's happening anyway, just slowly piece by piece. Yoshinobu Kanemura is in Noah now. We're going to get to that. Akabono left. Uh, Kenzo Suzuki left a long time. Hey, you know, guys are just jumped. Kotero Suzuki quit. So, I mean, they're losing it piece by piece anyway. But you get to the point where one injury causes you to put Zeus in a triple crown match. You're, I mean, come on, just go away. This promotion needs to go away. They don't draw any fans. It's all Japan in name only. They don't even own their own tape library because I've me and Rich have told you a million times. It's it's essentially a company that just restarted with the trademarks. The logo. It's it, it they just you know, Akiyama restarted with the logo. That's it. He got the logo and the trademarks. It, it, there's no history here. They don't own the tape library. The roster is just people jumping ship left and right. They can't pay anyone. I'd much rather see these guys in a promotion where, you know, they have a wider variety of opponents to work with and they can beef up some of these other promotions, most notably NOAA and New Japan. I know there's politics and all that. And Junakiyama can't just moonwalk back into some of these promotions. I get it. At the end of the day, he's going to find work. What a mess. Speaking of Yoshinobu Kanemura, Noah had their Cork and Hall show on the 9th, which sets up their big show on the 31st, which I cannot wait for. I am Noah super fan Joe Lanza. 
I'm loving the Noah lately, let me tell you. As for this court can show, nothing must see here. I just wanted to make a couple of quick points on it. If you're going to go out of your way, you're, you're, you're short on time, watch the Taka Mishinoku Daisuke Harada match. Taka Mishinoku, I thought, was the best worker on this show. He was so good in this match. It was only a little eight-minute match or whatever it was. Taka Mishinoku is something else. He was stretching and slapping Harada around like he was a K-Dojo young boy. And I enjoyed every second of it. And the finish of the match was great. Point number two. Yoshinobu Kanemaru returns to the green ring. And boy, did it feel right. And he teamed with Go Shiozaki, another guy who jumped off that, you know, dying All Japan boat. That sinking boat of All Japan. Another guy who left. And he joins Go Shiozaki and Noah as the guys who left Noah for All Japan, abandoned Noah, and who are now back from All Japan. And our men without a country. The Noah native roster doesn't like them. Suzuki Gun doesn't like them because Goshi Ozaki refused to join Suzuki Gun. So they're on their own. And they faced El Desperado and Shelton Benjamin here in what was probably the second or third best match of this show. But the big story Kanemaru is back in Noah, and boy, did it feel right. As soon as he came out, as like this is where he belongs. It just you know it, it it never felt right in all in whatever you know in the fifth incarnation of all Japan or whatever it was. This felt right. Then halfway through the match, they're chanting his name. Great stuff. It was great to see. And I'm hoping Katero Suzuki joins them at some point. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like Atsushi Aoki is going to join them because this week, just more news, just constant news in wrestling in January. He's now officially office for All Japan, whatever that entails. So it looks like Aoki's going to stick it out for the long haul with All Japan. That's too bad. You know Akiyama will. He owns the place. But Aoki's going to stick around. And the one thing about Aoki that's underrated is he's a tremendous professional wrestling trainer. Great trainer. Great trainer. I don't think all Japan has exactly as, you know, the hottest prospects coming up the pipeline. I don't know why anybody would want to work there, but the guy's a great trainer. I think eventually you'll see most of these guys end up in NOAA. I mean, I, I, all Japan, I that's going to be very hard for them to last the year. And Kento Miyahara is going to be the big acquisition for, uh, the acquisition for somebody. You know, New Japan, it, it's like people suggest people that certain wrestlers, that New Japan should go after certain wrestlers. You know, there's a lot of wrestlers who are excellent wrestlers who just would not be a good fit for New Japan. You know, Suji Ishikawa is one guy. He's a freelancer now. He has tremendous matches. He would not, he's not a good fit for New Japan. He doesn't have the look that they go for. He doesn't work the style that they work in New Japan. I think he can go to New Japan and have good matches against guys like Ishii and Togi Makabe and um, 
you know, Shibata and Hanma and people like that, but he just he's not a New Japan guy. You know, I don't know if Hiroshima would get over beyond a certain level in New Japan. But a guy like Junakiyama, even at 45 years old, like, please, please. Not only do I think he can he'd fit right in in New Japan, I think he'd I think he would draw in New Japan. I don't think he he can't draw in all Japan. But I think all of those fresh matchups in New Japan, that, that I think he would draw money against the people in New Japan. So anyway, the main event of this show was uh, Minoru Suzuki and Takashi Sagara, his first match as a member of Suzuki-gun, taking on Maybach and Marafuji. And Sagara pinned Maybach. Main event was nothing. I mean, it's it's not a must-watch match by any means. It was just a match. A little two-and-a-half, three-star match, whatever. But check out if you're if you're a big Noah fan, check out Kanemura's return to Noah. Great moment. The Taka Harada match. And one other thing I wanted to mention in the six man match. Nakajima, Katsuhika Nakajima, Muhammad Yone, and Yoshihiro Takayama face Killer Elite Squad and Takashi Azuka. And this of course is a setup because Nakajima and Yone are challenging Killer Elite Squad for the tag titles at the end of the month. But the the chemistry between Lance Archer and Katsuhiku Nakajima was shocking. I want to see a singles match between these two guys now. I mean, they were great together. Great together. Great. I'm not overusing the word either. They were great together. And Nakajima's a guy who ever since he signed his deal with Noah and is no longer a freelancer, you can see that he's working with a little bit of an extra spark. We talk about it all the time. Give these guys a little ambition, a reason to work hard, and they will. It's another example. His work has, has improved since he signed that, that, that contract. A little stability, a little bit of, hey, you know, we like you, we're going to use you, and, and, and guys respond. They're human beings. They're not robots. So that's the Noah show. And of course, on the 31st, they got their big show at the end of the month, the follow-up to Destiny. And it's a loaded show. Marafuji defends against Segura. That's your main event. Your semi-main event is Minoru Suzuki against Go Shiozaki. You would think Shiozaki would win that one. Interesting, Marafuji says that if he beats Takashi Segura, that Suzuki gun should leave Noah. Now, if you recall, Marafuji said before the Destiny match that if Suzuki defeated him, Noah would disband. So now he's putting a little stipulation on this one that Suzuki gun will have to leave Noah if he defeats Takashi Sagara in the title match. Now, think about this. Think about this. New Japan has controlling interest of Noah. They don't own Noah like a lot, but they have controlling interest. AJ Styles and Nakamura just hit the bricks along with Guns and Gallows. 
would it be the worst idea now that Noah's been supplemented by Shiozaki and Kanemaru and maybe a couple other guys coming in, would it be the worst idea for Marafuji to beat Sagara, vanquish Suzuki Gun from Noah, and those guys go back to New Japan to fortify that roster from the losses that they just suffered. Shiozaki beats Minoru Suzuki on Suzuki's way out of the company, which sets up Go Shiozaki versus Marafuji down the line as the title program moving forward. Nakajima and Yone beat Killer Elite Squad for the tag titles. Harada and Katoge turn back the challenge of Taka and Taichi for the junior tag titles. And Suzuki Gun goes on their merry way back to New Japan. Is that really out of the realm of possibility? I don't think that will happen. That would give New Japan three heel factions, four if you count Chaos. But clearly the roster needs a little bit of propping up. That's why you need to keep an eye on this Noah show. Maybe that wasn't the plan until January 5th. And maybe it's the plan now. Shit, we gotta bring Minoru Suzuki back. And the depth that comes along with bringing that group back. So that's your card. Marafuji versus Sagara. Go, Go Shiozaki versus Minoru Suzuki. Killer Elite Squad defends against Katsuhiko Nakajima and Mohamed Yone. Uh, the junior tag titles, Daisuke Harada and Atsushi Kotoge defend against Taka Mishinoku and Taichi. If you listen to this show, you know that the junior title matches in Noah have been straight up fucking fire uh, over the last year or so since Suzuki Gun came into the company. So that should be another great match, especially the way I saw Taka work on this last show. Um, and the Taichi Kotoge match was a fun little match too. Taiji Ishimori, the new junior champion, he of course beat Taichi at Destiny. He defends against Kano in a match that I am looking forward to more than any other match on the show, with the exception of Go Shiozaki versus Minoru Suzuki. Taiji Ishimori is one of the most underrated wrestlers on the planet. Believe me when I say that. And Kano is, has really come on strong. Has really come on strong. He's been a guy floating around for years. People are familiar with him if you're familiar with Pearl. He's a mainstay on the Noah roster now. Signed a contract about a year ago. Had a great match against his tag team partner, Hajime Ohara, to earn this title shot against Taiji Ishimori. And I expect it to be a great 10 to 12 minute match on the undercard of this show on the 31st of January for Noah. Noah, Noah's business has not shown any signs of turning around. It went down when Suzuki Gun invaded and then leveled off and is now at a level clearly below what they were at before, which was not a great level. So business-wise, they have not shown any signs of turning it around. But from an in-ring perspective, 
if we haven't convinced you to get your eyes on this promotion yet, then we never will be able to. Noah is having a great run in the ring. And the booking has been tremendous. Tremendous booking. From a storytelling perspective. And drawing any money. You can't go voting Jado Booker of the Year because the promotion doesn't draw any money. But from a storytelling perspective, tremendous booking. Fun booking, logical booking, ABC booking, and we'll see if they can continue that on the 31st. There's a few undercard matches on that show too, but we, we got time. A couple weeks, we'll go over the show in detail. Next week, when Rich presumably returns, we'll preview the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns versus 29 other men defending his WWE Championship, which I think stinks and is not a good idea. Just from an entertainment standpoint, I think it's going to make for uh, one of these... Look, every Rumble is a story Rumble. I don't want to say story Rumble, but an override. I fear that this Rumble... Give you a little preview for next week. I fear that this Royal Rumble is going to be one of those Rumbles where Vince McMahon is sitting at ringside... And Roman Reigns draws number one, and it's predictable shit where guys come down, and the camera cuts to Vince every 30 seconds, and he makes his dumb faces when Roman survives and throws guys over the top rope. Uh, Vince makes a dumb face because he's shocked, and his eyes bug out. And it's going to be one of those rumbles, I think, and I'm not interested in that at all until it inevitably comes down to Roman and Brock at the end of the match. Roman draws number one. Survives the onslaught for 45 minutes. Superman punches everyone. Vince makes dumb faces. Stephanie makes dumb Vince faces. Brock comes in at like number, I don't know, 27. That's usually the key number for your Brocks or your Hulk Hogan's. So he gets to eliminate a bunch of guys. He'll toss about six or seven guys. And it'll come down to Brock and Roman. And then they'll do whatever they're going to do to set up WrestleMania. So as you can see, it's not going to be a positive preview of the Royal Rumble. At least from my perspective next week. We'll see what Rich has to say. I don't think he's too thrilled with that company right now either. But that's the kind of Rumble I see it as. And to me, that's going to be shit as, you know, watching as a fan. Because as soon as Roman hits that ring as number one, the, the, next, the next 50 minutes are entirely predictable. But, you know, it, it, whatever. Maybe the casual. We'll talk about that next week. And I got nothing left. We got all the plugs away on part one. I'm not going to bombard you with plugs again. I think that at this point in the show, you guys know that I'm finished anyway, and you probably turned this thing off before we go on Plugathon. So uh, that's it. So for the absent Rich Krejci, I am Joel Lanza, and we'll see you next week on Voice of Wrestling. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Kuhn, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.